Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode four. The gang has finally been separated. We are now in three different corners of the world. I'm basically as far west as you can go in Canada, and I'm also outside, so there is obviously going to be some background noise. I apologize. Emily is as far east in Canada you can get because no one really knows what's going on in the maritime provinces. And Amy is holding down the fort in good old England. So you guys, what's up? How's your week been? Emily, you're off playing 27 dresses. She's been a bridesmaid, you guys. Um, so how is wedding season going? I'm just curious to know if you have any eligible bachelors for Amy and I. Yeah, so um, this is my third time being a bridesmaid. Stressful, so stressful. Yeah. But I also had another wedding to go to that I went to last week. And I realized how much fun weddings can be if you're not responsible for anything. <laughs> I was loving it. And then I was like telling some people stories from weddings that I've been to before. And they were like, oh my God, like your wedding stories are insane. And I think that's from being in the wedding party. Like so much chaos happens when you're like at the core of it all the time. And I also think another funny thing about weddings is that like they treat the bride and the bridal party and the groom and the groomsmen like they're celebrities the whole time. And like in this case, this was like a friend of mine who's a comedian and like his friends already kind of treat him like a celebrity. Like we do shows and then they come and watch and they're like, oh my God, wow, this is so cool. And I'm like, you realize that none of us get paid and this is not real and we just do this as a hobby and like pretend that we're going to get famous one day right like do you know that <laughs> the headlines okay welcome so as always we'll kick things off with our headline segments this is where we share the stories you guys may have missed we'll even break down a few of them for you emily what do you have for us today prince charles says that his aston martin gifted to him on his 21st birthday by the queen, runs on white wine and cheese. He's the most upper-class sentence I've ever said in my life. A dad in Manchester said he accidentally ran the Manchester Marathon, completing the race in just under five hours. 38-year-old Matt had signed up for the Manchester Half Marathon, but got the timing wrong and queued with the full marathon runners instead. Don't worry, mate, we've all been there. A British man, we're having British stories today, has been sentenced to 25 years in jail for being caught with a CBD vape liquid in his possession in Dubai. The real crime here, though, is that he vaped. So I think it's fair to say that he was asking for it. I love how we coordinate stories without even realizing. It makes us sound like we prep a lot more for this than we do. A couple has been accused of trying to sell nuclear secrets hidden in a peanut butter sandwich. God, Americans will eat anything. 25 incarcerated men received their BA in communications from Cal State University in California. They did so through a first-of-its-kind initiative that started under President Obama. The men were held in California's state prison and were part of the prison's progressive programming facility or PPF for short, a voluntary program that houses prisoners who demonstrate good conduct and a willingness to gain personal growth. One of the graduate speakers, Dara Yin, said the degree gives him and his classmates freedom to create better lives. The program itself shows the prisoners and society that they do not need to be defined by their bad decisions. 
The men who walked last week were not the first graduates, however. Nine did walk back in July, and those who have been excommunicated or been released from prison have gone on to work for non-profits, helping their local communities, start their own businesses, and some have even gone on to further studies um, and doing master's courses, which the three of us know all about. The state is expanding the program and will create a similar one for women, but I personally just hope that this catches on and spreads throughout the states and beyond, because I think it's just such a great uh, initiative. I mean, it's it just, a great initiative, but it is happening in California, which is the Canada of the states. <laughs> will it true. That's spread true. to the rest of them? Who knows? True. We'll see. I just wanted to step in and say, like, this reminds me of this show I'm watching on Netflix called Poor Life, which is a dramatization of a real-life story of this man called Isaac Wright Jr., who was wrongly accused of being, like, a drug lord and was incarcerated for 12 years, if not more. And during his time, he ended up getting his law degree and passing his bar exam. So he was able to practice Amazing. law while being incarcerated, represent um, the cases of his own fellow inmates, and then also prove that he was wrongly and falsely imprisoned. So uh, it's just crazy. I mean, this, this, I mean, the story talks about a lot of issues with like the prison system in general, but um, I think it's an amazing mm-hmm. initiative and hopefully does catch on. And I recommend people watch for life because it's, it's very intriguing and I just cannot believe it's based off of a lost real story yeah after family members contracted COVID-19 Ozzy Osbourne says worshiping Satan protected him from the virus and honestly maybe he's on to something maybe we've been worshiping the wrong person he, he needs to link up with that Catholic bishop from last right. week's episode or the week before Oh, and maybe they can figure something out. The Middle East Institute is holding a conference called the Middle East Futures Forum, where they get experts from around the world to talk about social, economic, political, and even environmental issues that face the Middle East. When it comes to climate change, however, the conversation points to what's going wrong. But in today's panel that I watched, I found it really interesting because they talked about what could be done better for climate adaptation and resilience in the Middle East. So I just want to point out four things that I thought were really interesting that can be also applied to the rest of the world. The first is proper infrastructure. The second is technology that supports and adapts uh, to new changing circumstances and makes them more efficient. So think things like carbon neutral technology and how we have adapted our supply chain and even our working conditions in light of the pandemic. They also called for support in policy from the government. So they talked specifically about the Gulf countries, which tend to be the richer ones in the Middle East, and how these governments are pretty receptive to to developing projects in, in a sustainable manner, but actual policies need to be put in place to make it happen. And the final thing is education, which is an area the Middle East is lagging behind. There's no real culture of environmentalism in the Middle East per se, and Things can, this can include stuff like uh, not saving water, turning off lights when you're not in the room, even recycling. And it's big in schools. There's no curriculum. And so they decided that this is something that needs to change. But I do want to point out a comment that was made by Aline Blissman. She's an NGO worker, an environmental expert working in the Middle East. And she said that the countries we're working in are definitely more vulnerable and less resilient. It has to do not just with money, but also war and conflict and dependency on other countries when it comes to an excess of resources. 
which I think is an excellent demonstration that climate change action is actually a first world problem and that once we can fix it in the first world, we can turn to more vulnerable and less equipped countries to tackle the rest. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. not, it's quite obvious that we've done the most damage, so we need to clean it up first. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure a lot of it is like runoff from what first world countries have brought to other countries. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I bet that's a lot of what what those countries even contribute is runoff from from what we've done. And also, just I want to say that I love why you were talking about the environment. Lumna, we can literally hear like the birds behind you. So it actually, you being outside fitted your story. There is nothing scarier than an anti-vaxxer in the year 2021. And Halloween decor is reflecting that. I personally love Halloween. I love spooky things. I love ghosts. Amy and I went to a haunted house in Stratford just for the thrill uh, and we listened to Lore on the way. It's not a plug for that podcast, but it's pretty good. You mm-hmm. can go if you like spooky shiza. One of my favorite Halloween things is seeing like funny, clever costumes slash decorations. So hearing about this new fad of mocking anti-vaxxers for their skepticism about the COVID-19 vaccine is honestly pretty funny to me. Um, so this is across North America so far, because in North America, it celebrates Halloween more than other countries, right? Mm. Um, these have popped up like on the Twitter account. Meanwhile, in Canada, Livna, do you follow them? Oh, I follow them on Facebook. Um, so they show several gravestones, which read, I did my own research, trusted ivermectin more than sci- science and believed it was only the flu. Um, Another, uh, there was a TikTok video shared by Linda McAfee. Do we know who that is? Don't necessarily need to include these because I don't know who these is. Uh, uh, These is, these are, whatever. Um, So this has been viewed more than 2 million times and it shows a group of prop skeletons holding up signs featuring slogans popular with the anti-vaxxers such as I refuse to live afraid and government conspiracy. So my question to you guys is, did they take this too far, the decorators, or is it just hilarious? I think, I think it's hilarious. Um, also, I just did um, just Google ivermectin. It's not a person, it's a... Um it's randomly it's a it's a tablet which was approved by the fda to treat people with intestinal strongyliodysis uh two conditions caused by parasitic worms so not even the same like part of the body so i don't understand that but um that's what ivermectin is also uh, a time during the beginning of the pandemic where they thought malaria tablets would also stop oh, the virus yeah. And so I think it's just kind of like the same thing. I don't think it's too far. I think it's funny. I think that um, as far as comedy goes, and I don't think that comedy has no boundaries. I always think everything should have some boundaries, but I think this is in a relatively like safe realm of poking mm. fun at it and kind of highlighting the issue. And um, I don't think that they like particularly attack anyone in particular, say particular twice. I don't know why I said that. But anyways, I think it was funny. Canadians have a good sense of humor. and. Um, that's what Halloween's yeah. about, really. 
In other news, toy company Lego has announced its commitment to marketing their toys as gender neutral. This comes as the Danish company's research finds that girls feel less restrained by gender biases, but are then constricted by them as they get older. In reverse, boys are more likely to be ashamed to play with quote-unquote girly toys and are more constrained by gender stereotypes at a young age. My headlines have been kind of like mini breakdowns and that's just because I have not been good at finding snappy headlines compared to my my co-host. So my last one, I'm going to make it real quick. The USDA has been accused of ignoring, ignoring animal welfare in favor of business interests. No surprise. An internal memo obtained by PETA showed inspectors notes about several animal rights violations and expired licenses in the last five years, but these reports were dismissed by the USDA and no charges were ever laid. You can read the notes, um, the link uh, that kind of goes into more about what the violations were. In reality, though, I think this highlights a larger problem, which is the internet's obsession with cute, exotic, recently domesticated animals. I put domesticated in quotes because domestication takes not a year, not a generation. It takes thousands of years. And my case in point really are hedgehogs. They're very adorable, but their history on social media is quite dark. And a lot of hedgehog owners are shocked by the sheer amount of work involved in caring for one that they often just surrender them later on, or worse, they just throw them out into the streets. Hedgehogs suffer from severe health problems, especially because of the amount of inbreeding that happens. And many are only bought for their marketability on Instagram. I read an excellent article on Wired, which I've linked in the show notes. The, art, the title's actually very cute. It said, looks that quill instead of looks at kale. It's very cute. <laughs> the journalist asks an excellent question. When a species goes viral, what happens to the animals? Shows like Tiger King or even high profile Instagrams that showcase animal advocates dealing with big cats and other wild animals under the guise of education is problematic. A quick scroll through the comments shows that no one really is educated. Oftentimes they're like, oh my God, these animals are so cute. I want one. And then the captions of these posts don't even do anything to advocate for animals or raise awareness or educate them about anything that goes on. I think ultimately, based on our approach to animal rights on Instagram and social media, are we even surprised that government organizations are dropping the ball when it comes to protecting the welfare of animals and they're prioritizing business over what they stand for? In my opinion, I don't think so, but I'm curious to know, like, have you guys ever been interested in following like these cutesy exotic animal pages like hedgehogs and things like that? Because I've never been interested personally. When it comes to animals on social media, I just love watching dogs and cats do stupid things. <laughs> yeah, those are things that humans have owned, you know, forever. So that doesn't make me feel bad. I love it. And we, we give them a good life, you know? The I can't imagine why anybody would be interested in getting exotic animals after Tiger King. Like that turned you off of it. It made I mean it's it's showcasing what a horrific world it is and like how unethical it is. And even the people working there were saying like, yeah, I would never work there. Like it's not a good place to be. I'm glad I'm out of it kind of thing. I don't know. I can't, I, I don't get it. I don't get most of Instagram trends though. So I think I'm an old curmudgeon. Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner, has become the oldest person to go to space. 
Shatner was a passenger on Blue Origin's second flight, which for those of you that don't know, Blue Origin is uh, Jeff Bezos's space venture. I mean, it's almost as if rich people know something's about to go down on the planet before the rest of us do. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but... He, I mean, his whole thing was being famous for Star Trek. And <laughs> all of this, like, billionaires flying for, like, joy rides has been annoying to me, but this was just cute. Like, he's mm. tiny, he got famous for doing a show about space, he got to go to space, and I was kind of thinking, like, is that safe for a 90-year-old to go into space? But then I thought, if that's how he went, that'd, I know. that'd be all right. It would be fitting, wouldn't it? off the record you guys uh let's wrap up the show with my favorite part uh, our off the record segment where we share stories that have resonated with us or enlighten our listeners with our lives with hopes that maybe it resonates with you guys emily you have a harrowing tale about your will to survive yes, i do i do um so this is inspired by a story that i read it's in the new york times there's a link in the show notes to learn more about it um, so for two years or half of its life, it was a four-year-old elk. Um, a 600-pound elk was stuck in a Colorado park with a tire around its neck before wildlife officials could remove it. Two full years. Two years, half its life. Uh, the tire was full of pine needles and dirt, and wildlife officials estimated that there was at least 10 pounds of debris jammed inside this tire. And the elk lost about 35 pounds after the tire and its antlers were removed in order to free it because they had to remove its antlers to get it out. Mm-hmm. Which I was kind of like, couldn't you have cut the tire? Yeah. I don't know how rubber works, but couldn't you have cut the tire? Um, so, da 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 da. Even though the heavy tire had been on the elk's head for two years, the bull was mostly uninjured, wildlife officials said. Uninjured! Isn't that incredible? I honestly couldn't believe this. It was sitting there with this heavy thing that it didn't understand, and instead of moping, it got on with its life and powered through. Now, this is reaching. I will give you that. But we have also been sitting with a heavy weight restricting us for two years. And honestly, I've been constantly bitching and moaning about it. Yeah, it'll be good when this is lifted off. But I think I'm living towards that reality of it being gone rather than accepting what's going on and living with that. I keep mourning my life before COVID. And I think maybe it's time that we accept it and move on and soldier on and adapt to the new life. And then if this never ends, maybe we'll be a little bit happier and maybe we could have enjoyed a little bit more of our lives not sitting and watching Tiger King again and crying about the before times, as we like to call it. The the key, I always oh. think, yeah, I always just think the key to happiness is acceptance. Like, you just have to accept you as a person and the situation that you're in and that's the only way that you can you can get out but then the thing is like with the pandemic it's all out of our control like nothing is anything that we could control therefore it's something that you just have to be like okay so what can I control or I can control the way I react to it 
And I think that's why people start off, you know, new hobbies, um, quit toxic jobs. All right, you guys, my story is another medical one. I love talking about uh, medicine, but this one actually has nothing to do with me, um, but it is a pretty major story. So the World Health Organization has momentously marked the recognition of wrongdoing against Henrietta Larks. For those of you who don't know, Henrietta was an African-American woman whose cervical cells were taken from her over seven decades ago without her permission by pharmaceutical companies to develop medicine and vaccines to combat HIV and HPV. Only then she died of cervical cancer and didn't actually receive any aid at the age of 31 in 1951. What makes this major uh, is the fact that her, her estate decided to follow through and sue these medical companies. And over the last 18 months, the legacy of Henrietta's life has been discussed more publicly. But this is the first time that the World Health Organization has actually publicly acknowledged and accepted the accusations of medical injustices against people of color globally, uh, especially with what happened with Henrietta Larks. I just wanna make note of a few highlights from this press conference because I was able to watch it live. And I think that many of our listeners can benefit from this because in general, I think we overlook what medical care looks like and how it looks like globally and even within our own communities. So there's five major takeaway points or four major takeaway points from this. The first was that the general who was addressing, the general of the World Health Organization who was addressing the commission said that, Henrietta Lacks suffered from racial discrimination, which was rampant in her time, but continues to exist to this day. Her body was exploited, but she's not the only woman of color who's been misused by science after placing trust in the healthcare system to receive treatment. The General of the World Health Organization said that the medical community took something without her knowledge and consent. He said that medical technology developed from Henrietta cells has only perpetuated more injustices because the medicine developed has not been shared equitably around the world. For example, the HIV, HPV vaccines that were developed from Henrietta cells that can eliminate the same cancer that took her life is not widely or affordably accessible in countries with the highest rate of HPV cancer. And finally, her cells, if you guys didn't know, has also been used to uh, create tools and medicine to combat COVID-19. And these tools and this access to medical care is not accessible or shared with low and middle income countries. Ultimately, science has advanced, has won Nobel prizes and has gained a crap ton of money off of this woman's body. And it's only 70 years since the day that she died has this been finally acknowledged and accepted. The general concluded by saying something that I think was quite powerful, but also gives us some room to reflect on. He said that no doubt Henrietta would be pleased with the amount of lives that have been saved, but the ends does not justify the means. The World Health Organization acknowledges the importance of recognizing the past, acknowledging the wrongs of the past helped to build trust in the future, and they recognize the potential her legacy can provide for future medical work. I think ultimately this has been really monumental because overall we don't recognize that there's been any kind of exploitation of people's bodies, especially women of color, people of color, and people in marginalized or vulnerable communities. This isn't the first time though that a, unfortunately a black person has had their body exploited and manipulated for the advancement of the greater good, but the concept of the greater good is very classist, highly stratified, and only benefits privileged people. 
I do think it's a step in the right direction. And from what I could tell, the family was invited to this conference and they were able to make the remarks. And I think that there has been some peace that's been made. Overall, they can't change what happened, but I think that they can work to prevent it happening in the future. I, when like the vaccination came out about COVID-19, the only group of people I was like, I understand why you would distrust this vaccine was black people like here in the UK and also especially in the US as well. I was like, everybody should get vaccinated because, um, you know, to help the help obviously get us out of this pandemic. Um, but I always was just like, yeah, I understand completely why that particular community would be um, hesitant, vaccine hesitant. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that like when you really, especially if you look particularly at the US, there has been a lot of medical injustices that have happened in recent years. Mm. Um, That would make a lot of people from that community very suspicious. And in general, I do still think that even with vaccines, there are communities out there around the world who are begging for them, right? And Mm. are not getting access to them. And yet, you know, first world countries are out here being uh, kind of really ignorant about it. And then we have a lot of vaccine hesitant people coming from privileged communities who are also hesitant about it. But yeah, I think this just talks Mm -hmm. about a lot about the intricacies of medical um, injustices, what it means to have access to medicine, what is medicine, and even where do our um, vaccines and things like that come from? I think that uh, he really said it right, like uh, her her cell, her body saved lives, but does the end justify the means? Mm. This is not something we didn't know about, that the fact that, like, this isn't the first and only time that this has happened. Mm. Um, It is kind of something that I didn't think about, like, that, I mean, it's incredible that, like, this woman saved so many lives and had been, like, that many it's just, yeah, it's just a difficult one because obviously there should have been compensation. There should have been, uh, what do you say with the family? Did the family receive compensation for this in any way, shape? I think the court cases are still happening, but last year, a major biomedical research organization was the first and so far only organization to make uh, financial reparations for the continued um, experimental use of, they're called the HeLa or HeLa cells, Henrietta Lacks cells. Um, And I think they did over like a six figure gift to the Howard Hughes Medical Institute in Chevy Chase, Maryland. So again, it's not, it still doesn't go towards the family. Reparations aren't going to the family, but they're donating it to a medical institute to continue. So, I mean, when you really look into it, it's like, okay but like you said uh, Emily I think at the end of the day the family knows that they themselves might not get financial compensation but they but it's more than that I think it's about making sure it never happens again so uh I'm gonna make my off the record a really snappy one this week and link it back to my first story about the dad who accidentally ran a marathon Um, I didn't get to say, um, but after realizing he was in the wrong queue, he still went for the marathon anyway because he wanted to make his sponsors proud, which I thought was really nice. Um, And he said he was really touched by the camaraderie as well because, like, obviously he had only prepared for half a marathon, so, like, his AirPods ran up charge halfway through, his playlist stopped halfway through, and he said the last five miles was so challenging. 
But anyway, I recently started running as well. I can now run a 5K nonstop. Going to pause for applause. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, while running, I do listen to podcasts. And I just wanted to say to any listeners who are listening to us while they are running, keep going. You got this. That is my off the rack I'm for this week. If we're really uninspirational as a running podcast. <laughs> go faster! I, you got this. Um, I also think, do you like find it really strange? Like, cause, because like when you listen to anything in headphones, it's so intimate. It's like we're running alongside of you, cheering them on. People think I'm on. weird because I don't really listen to music. I listen to podcasts instead, like all the time. That's my life. I listen to podcasts mostly my own kidding I don't do that that's weird um but it does feel like you like know them and that they're like there yeah and I feel like yeah run into those podcasters in real life I'll be like oh hey it's my buddy John yeah and then he'll be like I don't know who you are please stop coming into my room you know yeah I only just recently got into podcasts after I moved uh to London because I was living alone and I realized like yeah music wasn't really cutting it I was missing that kind of interaction so it was great to listen to podcasts because it just felt like I was listening on someone's conversation like I was just chilling with friends they were talking and I was happy to listen um mm. and it's interesting because I never used to be the type to like to listen to podcasts while I worked out I liked listening to music but there was a period in my life where I, I did start listening to podcasts while I was working out only because I didn't want to have to think of like mm. scenarios in my head while I was listening to music I could just listen to someone else's um podcast but I did mm. want to say, Amy, when you posted that you did the couch to 5k thing, I was actually thinking about it a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I wanted to reach out to you. So I wanted to do it public here on the podcast. First of all, amazing job. I mean, I did respond to your story, but still I wanted to ask you like, what was that experience like? Because I kind of want to do it, but mm. I just, I don't know. So how was it? Um, so it was amazing. I don't know if it's, um, so just for listeners who are outside of the US or uh, who are outside of the UK, um, or even people in the UK who've never heard of the Couch 5k, it's basically, um, a running, like it starts to get you running app. So you start running for like the first week you're running for 60 seconds only. Um, and then it kind of builds you up to eventually be able to run 30, 30 minutes, um, which for me at that point. I can't run 5k in 30 minutes it's, it's just a bit over I'm not that fit just yet that's the aim um but my experience like I think it's now helped me to say that like I am a runner and I think I'll continue running from doing that experience because I have learned that when it comes to exercise or I guess just with anything in life if you want if you want to get philosophical about it um you just got to start with the baby steps like literally you just got to walk before you run and I really enjoyed, like, I know if I had just been like, oh, I'm just going to go out and run 20 minutes, I would not have um, kept on my stamina. Because um, like, that first week, I definitely could have run 10 minutes minimum nonstop. But I was like, no, I'm going to do this properly. I'm going to start this off from the very beginning. And I actually did really enjoy it. So I started off like in August during like that big heat wave that we had in the UK um, and even when it was hot, I didn't find it uncomfortable in the first few weeks. And I really, it was like, I would get up and do it and be like, oh, it's actually okay because you're mainly just walking. And I was like, walking is fine. It'll get me out out and about. And then because I had built up that mentality that I actually really enjoyed the uh, runs, 
every time I would come to do it, I was like, okay, yeah, actually, no, I do enjoy this. And now I want to push myself because I set it up at the beginning. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were times where I was just like, I just did not want to, to run or anything like that, but I kept going. Um, and I would definitely, I mean, I, this is not a paid ad at all. Um, but, um, it's definitely a really fun app to do. Um, inspiration. Well, you guys, I think that's a positive note to, to end on. That's it from us today. We hope you enjoyed our stories and our general chatter. Uh, we got to know what it's like to uh, be a bridesmaid, to run couch to 5k and to deal with uh, internet problems that potentially might've messed up our podcast along with all of our other headlines that you have to listen to the podcast to find out. But if you're at the end of this part, that means you did listen to it. Hopefully on regular speed and not two times speed. Anyways, uh, if you loved it, or even if you didn't, just leave us a comment on your chosen podcast platform. We won't even tell you which one to do. Or visit our new lovely Instagram page at Three Girls One Newscast, where we post you guys only once every two weeks. We're not even spamming your feed. Uh, right now, we feel like we're speaking to a void, so we'd love to know what you guys think. And join us next time for our very spectacular Halloween episode.